0: Brett. How's it going today?
1: Good, Ange. How are you?
0: Good. Well, that means it's another episode of Money in the Bank, the podcast where we talk about all things related to personal finance. And we do a trivia question.
1: Oh, uh, yeah. Let's make that a staple of our channel, I guess.
0: All right. So, you should know this one because we talked about it earlier today. Okay. So, out of the 30,000 applicants that have recently applied for the public loan forgiveness under the, like, federal program, how many of them... Got approved.
1: Loan forgiveness. We talked about this earlier today. This sounds like cheating. Um, I think you said it was less than 100, like 97, 96?
0: 96. 96. All right. He does listen to me sometimes. Woo! Only only a little bit. So that was when I first saw that news article, I was like, that can't be true. Like 96 out of 30,000.
1: I mean, it definitely sounds like there's some fudging of the statistics going on to make that like sound more dire than it really is. But I don't. Know, you tell me
0: uh, it's so I think it's actually a little bit of both. So, you know, to qualify for the public loan forgiveness program, it's actually there. There are some rules you have to follow. So you have to have made qualifying payments, 120 qualifying payments. So that's 10 years you know, every single month. month. And you can't have been late for a payment, which is, late is considered more than 15 days after the payment date. And you have had to pay a certain amount. So early on um, with, you know, student loan forgiveness, they didn't always really know what that amount was. And so now there's a lot of help out there where you can submit your information and say you want to be part of this program. And, there, you know, there's calculators online and even through your loan servicer that will help you figure out, you know, what your minimum that you have to pay a month is. But in back in 2007 and 2008, when, like, literally the world was dying, right, our economy was crashing, like, this was kind of on the back burner. So people with these loans had to kind of be able to figure it out for themselves because we didn't have... Everybody paying attention to this problem. We were too busy, like with our housing crisis exploding, right?
1: Right. Even even the lender, like probably right. most lenders, weren't up to speed on what this was. It was brand new. Learning. Yeah,
0: it was brand new, and they had bigger problems, so they weren't building these calculators into their right. websites. They, they had whole
1: bank shutting down at that time.
0: Yeah. yeah, you know. So when you think about the time period, it was just not on the forefront of the mind. So some people were making payments, and then it turns out that their payment was too low. Or maybe they made a payment after the 15-day grace period. Um, Or another really important catch is this only applies to direct loans. So there was, you know, there's different types of loans. There's direct, there's indirect, there's private loans, public loans. And even beyond that, you know, there's... Over the course of student loan history, they've called them a million different things, and there are certain loans that used to be issued by the federal government still that just simply don't fall into this bucket of forgiveness program. Okay. So you do have to make sure you have the right type of loan, which is a direct loan, and you need to make sure you made those 120 payments, not more than 15 days late, and that all of those payments were the right minimum amount that you needed to pay to qualify.
1: Right, so so it's, it's probably good to explain that this program isn't just like something that you're a part of, right? It's, it, I mean, they call it a program, but it really, it's at the end of a certain duration, when you think you have met all these requirements, you can then apply to see if you've actually met all the requirements, right? So you paid the loan for 10 years you never had any late payments you always paid what you were supposed to pay and never like paid minimums or only interest or whatever right so you met all the qualifications and then so now it's been 10 years since it got started in 2007 right fall, 2007. Fall 2007 yeah. um now those 96 there are 96 people that met those requirements they always paid on time they always paid a little like either more or equal what they were supposed to they had the right type of loan and then the other 29,903 people didn't follow something correctly or didn't have it set up right or didn't understand the program and they've been a part of it for 10 years, right? Right. So so what happens to them now?
0: So a couple different things depending on which part they didn't qualify for. So as I mentioned, you have to have a direct loan. So it turns out that, you know, there's a lot of people that They had a different type of loan. They just don't qualify. They just need to pay off their loan themselves. Right. They will never never qualify. And I want to say this type of loan starts with a P, but I can't remember the name off of it off the top of my head. But the number one thing you should do is you can go on the, there's a website called studentaid.ed.gov. So, or you can just type in, you know, federal student aid, and this is a, from the U.S. Department of Education, this website, and they spell out the details of this is the type of loan you need to have, and these are the ones that do not qualify. So there's about four loans issued from the government that do qualify, and four that do not. So you have to have one of the qualifying loans, and if you don't have that, you can never qualify. You can't get that changed. It was set up that way when you signed your loan documents, and you can't go back on that. Right. Right. And
1: if you're not sure, look it up on the website and call your mortgage lender. And right, if you don't have access to like the web portal or whatever to look it up. Yep. If, like, if there's a question about it, definitely look it up. If this applies to you.
0: Yes. So if that applies, you're out of luck. Um, the second one being, uh, check your payments. So maybe you say, "Well, I've made 120 payments," but go back um, and try to. And and this is where you need to kind of contact your learn your loan service provider because. I can't necessarily answer these questions for you, but um, go back and look at your payment history and then email them or contact somebody from your loan service and say, you know, can you tell me if all of these were the minimum qualifying amounts or what years did I not have minimum amounts? Because what can happen is maybe, you know, back in 2008 when we were kind of still unsure about some of this, you decided to sign up through, you know, Okay, I have this forgiveness where I can just pay interest-only payments. Well, interest-only payments aren't necessarily enough. It needs to be 10% of your take-home pay is like kind of the threshold that they set in general for most of these. Uh, but again, don't quote me on any of this because it's very specific. Like, that's why this is so confusing is it is very specific to your situation as well. So depending on your income requirements, you know, it could be more than that 10 percent. Uh, but, okay, but there's So,
1: so the, what the government is asking for in this program requirement is kind of a moving target. It's right? a
0: minimum for this particular program, which is different than minimums for other programs that we'll talk about later. Okay. So for this program, just use the calculator provided through your loan service program provider or through the federal government and put in your income and your loan balance and it'll spit out your, the monthly payment you need to have. So then you can look back at all the monthly payments you've made and say, okay, for from 2008 to 2009, I was making too low of payments, so now I need to do two more years of payments to get my 120 qualifying right. payments. Right,
1: and, and as you look back at the year, you need to calculate what your income was during that year, not what it is today. Correct.
0: Obviously. Um, but, th- but that'll be a good way to just kind of show you like how many more payments do I need. And this is something that I've also heard from people that the government will actually kind of help you with when you do apply for this. So part of the reason, another misleading statistic is there might be more than this 30,000 that is going to get approved, but this process takes a very long time. I actually knew somebody who submitted back in May, and they are still waiting to hear anything about this. Oh, wow. Um, But part of the reason for that is when they get your application, um, they're actually giving pretty good feedback on if you get rejected, they say you only had... You know, 110 out of 120 payments. Um, so I don't know if they're going to continue providing that good of feedback, which is why I'm telling people who maybe are a year or two out from applying to kind of start looking at some of this yourself. But if you've already applied, just know you might get some good feedback to know, like, here's what I need to do before I can reapply. Um, but if you haven't yet, you know, one way to do that is kind of just look back at your monthly payments and say, you know, hey, was there a duration that I was paying, like interest only, for example, and was that, you know, more or less than 10% of my income at the time? And that'll just give you kind of a good check on like, am I qualifying or not? Um, And another thing that you can do on kind of as well is um, when you go back and look at your monthly payments is see, were any of them more than 15 days late? And if they were, that payment will not count. So you need to make an so additional one. You just have one. to pay
1: one more month to make up for that. Yes, Right. And, um, then, you time. Can, and then you can reapply. Yeah.
0: Yes. Uh. And so, those are kind of what you need to do for this particular program. Um. One other thing that I did look up because I think this is a huge thing that not everybody knows is, under some loan forgiveness programs, when you get the amount forgiven, that actually counts as income for the year. Currently, under the Public Loan Forgiveness Program, so this is a 10-year program, that that does not apply. Um, so you, it just gets forgiven and it gets wiped out, and you do not have to pay on that income as taxes. So that's good. Okay. Um, that's helpful to know. But also note that that could change. Um, so what I mean by that is, like, let's say you have, you know, $50,000 of student loans that's forgiven. The government could come back and say you owe us. on your taxes this year because that counted as income, and you have to pay 25% on it, right? Right. Um, So that's kind of what I'm saying by when it's taxes income. Currently, like I said, under the public loan forgiveness, that is not a thing. Um, But let's talk a little bit more maybe about the public loan forgiveness versus other um, income-based repayment plans. So for the public loan forgiveness, you have to work for a nonprofit government organization, So it has to be public type work. So
1: public school teacher, public official, public uh, attorney, civil engineer, something like that, right?
0: Yes. Or, um, you know, I know certain hospitals will qualify. Mm -hmm. You can work as a health provider and fall under this category. But But
1: private institutions, private teachers, private practices for doctors and stuff. That doesn't count. That
0: doesn't count. And it's kind of important to note that like working for the government doesn't count. So you could be a government employee but that, that may not count if, it, if you're working for a department that's for profit or, you know, there's, um, you know, like state of Michigan has a ton of jobs that you can work at and working for the state of Michigan might not count. Okay. So you, you really have to make sure that your job type counts too. And you do have to, um, you know, work for that nonprofit is the kind of what they classified as like a 501... I think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's what yeah, 501c. That's what's getting the forgiveness, not just like any government official. So keep that in mind as well. Um, your the type of job that you have matters, the type of loan you have matters, and then making those 120 payments on time. So if you do all that and you execute it perfectly, in 10 years your loans will be forgiven. <laughs>
1: Under that program.
0: Under yeah. that program.
1: Okay. So what, are there any other programs so, that we want to look at? Or? So there
0: are. There's There's two other ones I want to talk about. So there's um, the income-based repayment plan, and then there's, like, the revised income-based repayment plan. And these are two different ones. The income-based repayment one, I believe, started back, oh, in the, you know, 2010-ish time frame. And this was make... 10%, you know, minimum payments or you know, they'll calculate your minimum payments and make that for 20 years, I believe, and then that balance will be forgiven. And now the new one is similar except I think they've they've changed it so that there's no cap. So it used to be make at least 10% of your take home minimum payment up to what your normal 10 year because a normal student loan is paid off in 10 years, right? Mm-hmm. But the problem is these payments for some people are too high. So then what they were trying to do with this repayment program is to say, okay, pay 10% of this amount or 10% of your take-home income, no matter what that is, and we'll accept that for 20 years, and then we'll forgive your student loans. But now they're saying – and they but they used to cap that at your, like, normal student loan payment. So now they're saying with this new program that was implemented in 2015 – that instead of capping it at that high threshold, it's 10% of your take-home pay no matter what that number is. So if you're a high-income earner, you could end up paying more than your normal student loan payment was. Right. But that just means your loans will be paid off faster. Okay. But it's just but why- don't go into this thinking like, oh, I'm going to qualify for this repayment. Like You're not. You're just paying your loans off faster.
1: Right. Okay. So not always a win-win for everybody. It totally depends. And if you're a lower income earner, it sounds like a much better program.
0: Correct. Um, so, so then the the thing is all direct loans, staffer loans and graduate plus loans qualify for this, which I think is an important thing to note since we said the other one was a lot more specific. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, you make payments for 20 to 25 years. Um, this is just a range that they actually gave me on the like federal loan website. So perhaps if you log in and put in all your information, they would tell you like if it's going to be 20 years or 25 years, but I'm not sure otherwise how you know. Um, but then after 20 to 25 years, they will forgive the remaining balance if you've made payments for on-time payments for all of those years. Okay.
1: So so who should be in that program, I guess? Like what is the threshold for why I would do this? Why why wouldn't everyone do this, right? Uh,
0: so I think, you know, the big thing is kind of look at your earnings potential and say, hey, you know, is am I going to end up making enough money? Like, what's my what's my monthly payment, right? Like, if my, my monthly payment when I had student loans, I think was like $180 a month. So that means if my take-home pay is more than $1,800 a month or, you know, $24,000 a year... I'm not going to save any money by doing this program. I might as well just stick with the normal 10-year schedule. It'll either be paid off in 10 years, or you can pay student loans off faster. There's no prepayment penalty Mm -hmm. on any of them. So if I would have switched to this plan, then my minimum payment would have gone from 180 to 10% of my take-home pay. So I would have been on the hook each month for a lot more. I chose to keep the lower payment and then pay it off faster myself. But that way, if I had a month where you know i actually you know had medical expenses which happened to me i didn't i wasn't locked into this higher payment i could choose to pay my 180 dollars that month mm-hmm. and put the rest towards medical bills so i would first step would be i would look at your take home pay and your student loan number and say which one is greater and if it's greater to what you currently are doing on the 10 year plan then you might be a good candidate to switch to this because you can and and also you know, is, is my payment now affordable or not? Because for a lot of people, you know, we always like to pick on teachers um, just because they're not paid what they deserve. But let's say any profession, if you graduate and you're making twenty five dollars to $30,000 a year, it's going to be a lot for you if you have a $500 monthly payment, right? Mm-hmm. So that you're a good candidate to switch to a program like this. Now, I will also say, if you do switch to a program like this, Pay your minimum, but then take a little bit extra and put it aside because that income tax that I mentioned earlier will apply to you if you follow this program.
1: Right. So that forgiveness, quote unquote, amount that you get at the end of the year is just like winning the lottery, right? Where they say, okay, yeah, you get a million dollars, but you have to pay taxes on that million dollars because we're going to treat it as income. So same thing with these loans, right? So they, they don't just pay the bank directly they don't they it's they're not cutting you out they're giving you the money as income that is taxable and then you get to pay the bank off right
0: right well they might pay the bank directly it slips through but but then you still owe the taxes yeah Yeah. so the difference between this and the lottery is at least when you win the lottery you get the million dollars you just have to be smart enough to put two hundred fifty thousand dollars aside to pay your tax bill later right? right um on this the kind of hard thing is yes you know let's take the example of a hundred thousand dollars at the end of this, because honestly, for you know, doctors, that's not outrageous that they might still have a hundred thousand dollars left even after twenty to twenty five years since some of them graduate with two hundred thousand dollars in or student loan debt three, or yeah. three hundred thousand. Mm-hmm. So you have a hundred thousand dollars at the end of this. That means the year that it's forgiven, you still owe the government twenty five thousand dollars because you're going to owe them about twenty five percent of the total.
1: Mm-hmm. So, you need to bring that to the You table. have to
0: have that. Yeah. And for people who don't know that, I mean, who just has $25,000 lying around to pay this otherwise, right? Right, and,
1: usually not people that have a lot of debt still.
0: Correct. <laughs> and so then the problem you have is if you don't have it, what's gonna happen? You're gonna end up having a loan that you owe to the IRS that's still going to accrue interest. But instead of $100,000, it's dropped down to $25,000. But if you're not careful and you're not ready for that, it might accrue interest so fast that that balance starts growing again before you know it, right? Mm-hmm. So, it's really important even if you're on an income-based or an income-driven repayment plan to set aside money as well to have, you know, expect that you're going to have to pay that tax bill. So, um and and so here's my other caveat, and this is kind of the unpopular opinion. I think you should switch to this If you need to, I think if you are hurting and your payments are really high and having payments that were, you know, capped at 10% of your take home pay would be helpful. Absolutely. You should do this. I don't think you should think it's a guarantee because none of these programs are set in stone. And recently several of them have been put back on the chopping block, you know, for federal budgets and federal cuts. So I don't want to scare anybody. But at the same time, be prepared that these programs may not always be around. You might not you might make payments for twenty years and then they might take this program away. and they, they they're not locking you in. It's not like you're guaranteed to get this, right?
1: Right. And I mean, on the other side of the coin, the you said that five point five million is what was paid off for those ninety six people um, yes. or, or the debt that was repaid. If that number gets too big, you can guarantee that the government's going to shut this down or change the program right. or change the rules because they just we're, the money's got to come from somewhere and they just can't spend like five billion dollars just paying off people's debt for fun.
0: Well, to put that into a little bit of perspective, you know, five point five million for ninety six people is fifty seven thousand dollars per person remaining in student loans after ten years of payments. Right. So,
1: and these were the people that did make all their minimum payments. Right, right. they didn't have any lates. They didn't miss. So it wasn't interest only. Right, they followed all the rules, and they still right still owed ninety fifty seven thousand.
0: Yeah. So, you know, I think, I think this is going to be a huge problem for our country. Um, I saw another article saying, you know, our student loans the next mortgage crisis. And again, I'm not trying to scare anybody, but it could be right. This is we can't. The government can't just forgive. $60,000 for every person, I mean, it's great to think that, but that money has to come from somewhere, right? right? So either
1: they raise taxes, they eliminate other programs in the government that already exist, right? You, it's, you can't just make it up out of thin air. I mean, they can make it up out of thin air, but that also it creates a different problem with the economy. Right.
0: right? It, <laughs> it will create a problem in our economy one way or the other. Right. So, you know, what's my general advice to people? Well, my general advice is if you get on a repayment plan, Save as much as you can in a mutual fund or in a savings account, depending on your risk tolerance. Save as much as you can so that in 10 or 20 or 25 years or whatever your duration is for getting that forgiven, you have this pile of cash sitting there that you yourself could pay off that balance if you needed to. And I think if you can do that, that's super powerful. Because then if they come through and they pay it off, great, you put your you know 25% down to get your taxes paid for, and then all of a sudden you just have this savings that you can put towards retirement or you can put towards a home purchase or or your kid's college at that point, right? Um, whatever you want to put it towards, but you're not handcuffed to this idea of the government is going to forgive my loans, and if they don't do it, I'm screwed.
1: Right. Or, I mean, that's a significant amount of money in like a mutual fund, right, making you know, seven to 13% interest, depending on your risk tolerance, right? Just let that keep it building money for you. Right. Live off the interest or, you know, just keep accruing it and add more to it. Yeah. That's such a powerful nest egg that you've built for yourself, where you, you kind of flip the coin, right? You had all this debt and like you were, it was a very nervous situation and you didn't know, you know, if things were gonna work out and then boom, the government actually does come through and the program does work for you, but you also have all this money on the side uh, so you just you basically just double uh, you know your standing. You go from like really re- you know really in trouble to like I'm way ahead of the game now.
0: Exactly, um, and I think you know another really important thing to do as well is so when I had student loan debt and I will admit I don't keep up on this probably as much as I should because I put it behind me years ago and it was the best thing I've ever done. Um, but my interest loan was actually 6.8 percent interest, which is nuts, right? So it was actually more beneficial for me to pay off my debt before I started saving in a mutual fund because that's like equal interest rate, right? Like I hoped to earn 7% on my investments and I was paying almost 7% on my debt. So it didn't benefit me to like pay the minimums and try to earn more somewhere else. So I paid that off, Um, but I bring that up because for people with really large balances that are looking at doing the repay, which is a forgiveness in 20 to 25 years, 20 to 25 years is a very long time to pay something off. So you might actually be better off crunching your own numbers and saying, hey, instead of like sticking with this program and making these minimum payments and like hoping that it all works out, I'm going to refinance my loan. And I'm going to go from having 7% interest to 3.5% interest. And if you can do that, all of a sudden you're paying half as much interest. So at the end of the day, when you add up how long you know paying on it for 20 to 25 years these minimums you might actually still come out ahead and you get it paid off in 15 years instead of 20 to 25.
1: right so yeah you're just setting your future self up for success at that point
0: but i will say once more aggressive once you refinance your loan with a private lender you can't go back you cannot go back and join this repayment program you have to have a federal loan to stay in the repayment program okay Mm -hmm. So you can go one way, but not the other. But I do encourage people to look at that because for me, like I wouldn't want to pay 7% interest on anything for 20 to 25 years. So if I could get that down to 3% and have it paid off in 15, I would just rather do that. Mm -hmm. Right. If it's especially if we're talking about the same amount of money.
1: Right. It just gives you a little more flexibility. Right. Even if even maybe more flexibility is more important to you than the government paying it off 25 years later.
0: Yeah, I know (laughs) it was for me. Like, I just wanted... And I did not have very much in student loans, but um, just the feeling of, like, being in debt for something that I could, like, never... You know, when you're in debt for a house, when you have a mortgage, you could sell your house and be out of debt. But with, like... And that's the hard thing with student loan debt is you were giving these huge loan amounts to literally... People without jobs (laughs) and hoping that they can pay it back. So it's it's a weird system and it's kind of backwards. So, you know, I think ultimately we've talked before on the podcast about the best thing you can do is reduce the amount you need to take out in the first place, because then you probably don't even need to worry about these plans, right? And so, what's that number? Um, I've actually come up with this recently. I think. If you can keep your loans about $50,000, I know that sounds like a lot of money, but that is a very manageable loan balance for most people versus letting it balloon to, you know, I, I knew some people that just for their undergrad, they were over a hundred. Oh yeah. And mm-hmm. that's when you get into that territory, I mean, you just can't. So, um, you know, work part-time jobs or go to community college for a couple of years, you know, there's a lot you can do there to make the costs come down. And do that; it's worth it, you know. Don't don't feel like you need to go to this like really prestigious school for all four years. Because honestly, you can go to community college for two to three years and then transfer and get the same degree that everybody else is getting.
1: Right. No employer would know the difference. Yeah. So I know. Yeah, the college that I went to had a program like that with the local community college, and like I know, I know several people that went through that program, and they that was the right choice. They definitely won over everybody else. Right. Like, for sure. And They paid, like, very, very little to go for the first three years. They paid a little bit more for the fourth year because it was a private school. And then, right, they get the exact same degree that I got. Right.
0: Yeah, and let me, let me say one more thing about this because I actually went to college for all four years. I went for a specific program that I could not go to community college for. Um, but I also kept my costs down by, like, living off campus and being super frugal and, you know, working really hard in the summers and during the school year to had come up with money to pay for things, which are all good things to do. But I was talking to somebody recently and they were like, Oh, I don't know how I'm going to afford to pay for my kids college. And I was like, Oh, you know, why not just send them The, the community college in our town is great. And they partner with big name universities across the entire state that you can transfer to very easily. And I believe that it costs on average, like 1500 a semester to go there or something like super inexpensive, right? Maybe 3000 a semester, somewhere right around there. And I said, oh, you know, why not send them up the road to the community college? And they were like, oh, well, you know, they're 18. They need to have the college experience. And here I am thinking, but is the college experience where you live on campus and you, you know, pay for the full year tuition, is that worth $30,000 a year? Right. Like, Is it? Because for me, I would not probably have gone to the school that I went to if I didn't get the scholarships I got. Um, So it made it very affordable for me to go there. But would I have paid $30,000 a year to go to the school I went to? Probably not. I probably would have sucked it up and stayed in-state and made it work somewhere, right? So, you know, don't feel like you have to have this college experience. You don't need to. Like, you can grow up and you know be a responsible little adult at 18 to 19 and have a very good life like not following the path that everybody else does
1: yeah i mean i i mean i went to a private school i lived at home i commuted to school because it was only 15 minutes away 20 minutes away and that saved me a tremendous amount of money.
0: And but, you visited friends at other colleges on the weekends. Right. I so always, you still got yeah. that college experience.
1: Yeah, because I went to the private school. Like, I was only like an hour and a half from Michigan State. So, yeah, on the weekends, I'd go down there and spend, you know, gone there Friday night and spend, you know, the whole weekend there and do that very frequently, like, all four years, of the, you know, we were in college. And that was a great experience. I loved those experiences. That was such a fun thing to do, especially because then, you know, I didn't have to clean up.
0: Yeah. So, you know, just keep all of that in mind. Like it's on both sides of the token, right? Like keep your student loans as low as possible when that's something you can control. And then on the other side, when you already have these student loans, do the right thing for you. But that, you know, everyone talks about these repayment programs, like it's the only option and they are good options. And, you know, hopefully we've explained them in more detail. So people kind of understand what they are, but don't be afraid to say, Hey, this is a good option, but refinancing at a lower interest rate and paying it off faster is the right option for me and my family. Because maybe you get this forgiveness, maybe you don't. And I know one thing, though. The fact that I go to bed every night without student loans, I wouldn't change that for the world. I wouldn't, I don't even care if they were going to forgive them. I don't care if they would have disappeared. I paid them off. It felt really good. And now, you know, f- six years later, I've moved on. <laughs> right.
1: Right. And I mean, even even we haven't mentioned this, even if you have like a reasonable income, you may be able to pay the loans off faster, like completely, and then start accruing money in other investment vehicles, right? Like mutual funds and whatever. And you may come out ahead over that same duration, right? Right. Over that same 10 years, you may come out ahead of somebody else that gets their loans paid off and just continues to pay all the minimums. And right. Just just follows that program. Yeah. So.
0: And and what's that uh, income level? Do you think? for choosing to pay loans off and accrue money versus, you know, saying, nope, I, I don't make enough. I'm going to, I should follow the repayment plan. Do you uh, have a guess on that? If I had to
1: guess, uh, I mean, I don't have my calculator in front of me, but I'd say like somewhere if you're making close to a hundred thousand a couple of years after graduation, When you're way in the ballpark, probably way way less than that. So
0: I would say as a single person... I I think 50
1: is a little low, but I think maybe like 70 is like a good balance.
0: Okay. So I I would actually say as a single person, if you're making right around $50,000, you should look into manning up and paying them off yourself Um, over that, right? 50 can be like the midpoint. Um, But also like if you're making over 40, like paying off your student loans shouldn't feel hard. And if it feels hard... It's probably because you have too many other expenses in your life that are high um, and this is for single people uh, it's totally different if you're you know a, a single parent with two kids making forty thousand kudos to you right because you're you got a lot of work and I know life is tough um, <laughs> um but if you're a, a single person by just living on your own making forty thousand or up it it shouldn't be it shouldn't feel like a huge burden to have this on top and if you're making over 50 like Brett said um that's kind of the point where i start thinking you should be able to come up with a plan pay these off and start accruing money faster and especially like he said once you start talking about 70 or 100,000 like you're on easy street Definitely, and if yeah. you are complaining about this it's it's not them it's you right <laughs> <laughs> um so and if, if you're like nope, you're wrong, and you want to send me your income, or or your budget, I can I can probably point out areas that you're spending too much money in, um, because I was making right near that fifty thousand point living in Chicago, paying off my student loans in a year. So um, if I can do that in a, I would say at least a mid medium cost of living city. I know it's not as high as like New York or San Fran, um, but I really think if I can do that in, in a, you know, median income or cost of living city, then most people should be able to do that on that same salary anywhere else. Because I didn't, and I didn't even save as much as I could have, right? I didn't have a roommate. I paid for my own one-bedroom apartment. Um, So I did a lot wrong, and I still got it paid off. Um, And and that was another good point that when we were talking about this earlier, Brett made, is, you know, everybody's base living expenses are the same. So, you know, when when the government issues these numbers that says, you know, like, $17,000 per person is what everybody needs to have a median basic cost of living in this country of, you know, food and health and whatever, that applies to everybody. And so if you're over that, if you're, if you're like spending $40,000 per person per year in your household, like you are living a life of luxury and you could cut it back.
1: Yeah. I mean, it depends on where you live, obviously, for what those expenses are and how they how they adjust. But everybody has the same needs, right? right? Like, I need to eat the same amount of food as everyone else to, like, survive. And I need to, like, have the same amount of shelter to survive. And those shelters are very different costs. And I could have very, very expensive shelters and have very cheap shelters. But at some point, I'm not going to die in, like, the, a level of shelter. And that's the, that's the minimum baseline for all human beings to exist, right? So... If you're looking at it from a purely analytical perspective yeah everybody could be treated the same and anything above that is luxurious right. right so you can always go down closer to that line and that will reduce your expenses greatly so right it just depends on how much you know you want to you know tread water there and you know not live that life of luxury and how yeah much to, but you to know i guess
0: back. when i was looking at my student loan payoff it was like can i live this way for one year to not have this debt anymore,
1: right? Because you can, you can, you'd be surprised at how much you can really dial that back, right? If you need to, just temporarily, sure, right? And then like start ranching up again. But when you once you've realized like where you can live with, and you know, like most of my friends and everybody that I know, growing up, you know, we we're all middle class or above, right? So most people have never even been down that line. They've never been below like how, you know seventy five percent above that line. So like cut back a little bit more than even what you grew up with and you'll be fine. You'll still be fine. You're just like a little more uncomfortable than you've been used to your entire life. But you can do it for a couple years and maybe you like still stay somewhere between there and where you have been. Right. right forever and then <laughs> and then you just make all the you just rake in all that extra money that, you know, you don't need to survive.
0: Right. Yeah. All right. Well, that's a good point. This episode is getting very long. Obviously, we're super passionate about this topic. Um, but I did want to say, you know, one more thing. If anybody is if anybody's been, if anybody that is listening is one of the 96 people that have had their loans forgiven, please email me. That would be so cool. Like you would literally make my whole day. So do that because that'd be really cool. I'd love to hear from you and how it went for you and how the process was. And on the you know flip side of that, if you're somebody who's still struggling with student loan debt and you're, you want to get them paid off faster or you want a second opinion or you say, hey, should I refinance, should I not refinance, feel free to send me over those questions as well and I will try to answer them as best as I can. All right, thank you guys. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Money in the Bank. Make sure to subscribe to us on the iTunes or Stitcher app so that you get weekly alerts every time we post a podcast. Or if you want, you can visit my website, moneyinthebankpodcast.com. And if you want to reach out with any questions or further comments, please email me at angie at moneyinthebankpodcast.com. I look forward to hearing from you. Money in the Bank.